I'm turning in the Word of God this morning to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, would you stand with me? We're going to read the first half of this chapter. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws, which He set before us by His servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed Your law and turned aside, refusing to obey Your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against Him. He has confirmed His words, which He spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by Your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that He has done, and we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for Yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. 
Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and all your people have become a byword among all those around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. You can be seated. Do you ever feel that you are at a loss with prayer? That you find yourself praying words, but it's more or less the mechanical moving of your mouth and the only mention of... You mention God's name, but that's about it when it comes to to the extent of our recognition of Him. I find that when I disconnect what I'm praying about with why I'm praying about it, there's a standstill when it comes to my prayer life. It describes this disconnection. And I'm asking, why should God care or take note of what I'm praying about? And maybe that's a question you've wrestled with. How do I know that what I'm praying about really matters? Maybe the fact that you have such a question shows that you're dissatisfied with prayer as it is in your life. You lost the basis of it. But if, if you really knew that God would be especially concerned in answering your prayer, Would that not drive you then to more passionate, more emboldened requests of faith? Because then it wouldn't just be prayer for prayer's sake. How can you know that prayer merits concern with God? That God really is concerned about what I'm praying about? Or in other words, I can ask you, do do we know what matters to God? Let me just start there. Do you know what matters to Him? In the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, you have something that's very familiar to us, but at the same time, something that's rather unique. The fact that Daniel is praying is, actually, we have seen this many times already, right? Back in chapter 2, we saw Daniel turn to God in a moment of crisis, when Nebuchadnezzar had determined to kill all the wise men. And so quickly, Daniel gathered his friends and they turned to God. And when God answered, we find him praying and blessing God. Then you move a little while later, and in chapter 6, you come to know that Daniel has a discipline of prayer, doesn't he? It's not just in moments of crisis, but on a regular, routine basis, Daniel quiets himself before God. He gives thanks to God. Three times a day was his practice. 
It's familiar to us that Daniel would be praying, but what you have here in the ninth chapter is rather unique because here you have a recorded prayer of particular significance. And I want to ask the question is, what happened that led Daniel not only to pray these words that we have just read, but then to write them down, because this was a private prayer, but then to write them down for others to read? There's a few things I want to look at the prayer with you. Okay? And first of all, just see the setting of prayer, okay? the, the setting of Daniel's prayer, right? In verse 1, In the first year of Darius the son of Ahasuerus, by descent and need, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So as again, as we talked about last week, here you have the familiar markings of a new segment in Daniel, right? You've got a reference to a time in the first year and to a king. Now it's Darius, the son of Ahasuerus. Now, you know that name because we saw him back in chapter 6. Remember when the Persians took over Babylon? This man was made king in Belshazzar's place. Now, remember then that it was he's called Darius the Mede, right? And it was because this was a combination of the Medes and the Persian kingdom. They came together. They were one kingdom, two peoples. The Persians were the more dominant group, and you'll also notice, and what history seems to tell us, is that Cyrus was the king who was overall. Okay? He was the higher-ranking, more authoritative one. And that explains why the text says that he was Darius was made king, right? He was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Well, who made him king? Well, obviously it must have been Cyrus, right? And he was made king not over the whole realm, but over a specific area, right? Just the realm of the Chaldeans, or as we more commonly know them, the Babylonians. Now, it's significant, I mean, it's significant for two reasons. And the first is that, well, what this means for Daniel and the rest of the Jews is that this is the guy who is in charge now. He's over us because that's where we are. We live in the realm of the Chaldeans. But more importantly, perhaps with a little more significance, is that Daniel's taking note of what's happening around him, but he's filtering it through the Word of God. Did you see this in verse 2? He says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. And then notice this, having read that, having studied, he then says, then I turned my face to the Lord God. So the prompting for his prayer, the reason that he's turning his face to God, is the word of God. So the prompting of Daniel's prayer is the word of God. The setting of his prayer was you have this dramatic change of ruling empire. But the prompting of his prayer was how that change coincided with what God had said. So all this went down as it was happening. Daniel said, I'm, I'm going to engage in some personal Bible study. And he turned to the prophet Jeremiah. Okay, and what he saw there with great interest was that the number of years that must pass, that God said, this must happen before the destruction of Jerusalem is over. Okay? And there's two passages from Jeremiah that Daniel probably looked at. You want to look at them together? Go ahead, turn to the book of Jeremiah, 
chapter 29. In Jeremiah chapter 29, what you notice first off in the, verse, in the first verse, look at this. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken. So what you're reading in this 29th chapter was originally a letter and it was sent to the exiles. There's no doubt that for sure Daniel had these words. Okay, Look what it says in verse 10. For thus says the Lord... When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when, when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. For sure, Daniel knew these words. He may have also read chapter 25. Look at this really quick. Chapter 25, a few pages back. Look at this in verse 11. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So what Daniel is realizing as he studies the word of God is that God made a promise, didn't he? And it was already beginning to be fulfilled. Right? God said he would punish the king of Babylon. You just read it in Jeremiah. And guess what? He did. He did punish the king of Babylon. In fact, Daniel watched that come to pass. He was the one who delivered the sermon about the punishment that was going to fall on the king way back in chapter 5. But what hasn't happened yet is the people bringing, being brought Back to the land, right? That return from exile. That end to shame. Well, the 70 years, roughly a span of a man's life, are nearing their end. But what of the return? That's what Daniel's asking. That's what he's concerned about. Now, what's surprising in some sense is that the word of the Lord prompted Daniel to pray, right? But if God already decreed it and already said, 70 years shall come to pass and then you're going to come back... So, in other words, the time is set, and it's already begun to be fulfilled. Babylon has been punished. Why bother praying for it? Why pray for it? If God's already decreed it. Have you ever asked that question before? Well, here's the thing. You come to the Word of God, and here's what you find. What is non-existent to anyone who knows God and loves God You'll never see them hanging back and saying, well, what's the difference? It doesn't matter what I do. And the reason you never see that attitude 
is because everywhere in the Bible, God always uses a means towards fulfilling his ends. So, yeah, God sovereignly ordained that men and women and, and their actions, what we do, are his means of accomplishing his will. How does he do? What does he do? God rouses the affections of his people to move on his behalf. So prayer, as Daniel sees it, it's no vain act. It's not inconsequential. God ordained to bring his people back, but guess what? He also ordained that the means through which he brought back them to his land would be as people turned to him and cried out and prayed and put their faith in him. Likewise, even today, God has ordained that the gospel will go forth to the end of the earth. Matthew 24, verse 14. It will happen. But he has also ordained that the way it goes forth is through the preaching of it. You get it? How can they hear, Paul asked, without a preacher? They won't. I believe this is one reason that Daniel wrote down this private prayer. So you understand that through your prayer, the events of history are actually unfolding. Might God have included the prayerfulness of Daniel to awaken a prayerfulness in us? I think so. Perhaps like Daniel, if we are aware of what's happening around us, that there ought to be an urgency for prayer. God, we're looking to you to act. You've aroused us to turn to you. Daniel felt it, and that's evidenced by the posture that he took in approaching God. Because you see that in verse 4, go back in Daniel. He said, I sought God and I did it with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Those things signify, they signify humility and earnestness. Okay, sackcloth wasn't comfortable. So it kept you, it was one of those things that impeded you from drifting off in prayer. He came with a spirit of lament for himself, for his people, because he knew that it was their sin that brought this upon them in the first place. And the prayer that follows can be divided into two parts, okay? Two general parts to this prayer, which ironically enough, okay, the first part, which is from verses 4 to 14, takes up the longer portion, is usually the part in our own prayers that we tend to breeze through rather quickly. We like to jump into the asking part. But this first portion we might call his confession. His confession. And the second part you'll see where it turns beginning in verse 15. You see that? And now, O Lord our God. Okay, this is the second part of the beginning called his, his petition. What he's asking. Okay. So as we look at these together, I want you to think of what might be lacking in your own prayers. Okay. So, his confession. Okay. Let's take a look at this, verses 4 to 14. In this portion, Daniel is reckoning with two great realities. Okay. Take a look at verse 4. He said, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. 
The first thing that Daniel wants you to see, the first reality that he deals with and reckons with and comes to grips with is the godness of God, if I can put it that way. It's everywhere in this confession. Who God is, the character of God. Okay. What he's doing is acknowledging all of who God is. And here he just says, man, God is great, God is awesome. And how he has acted, right? What has God, how has he worked in our lives? Well, he's been utterly faithful. He's kept his covenant with those who love him. God had a special relationship, a covenant, you could say, with his people. But the second reality that stands in stark contrast to God is the behavior of the nation, right? According to verse 5, he says, But we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. So here they are, these two things, right? The godness of God and the behavior of the nation. And what you'll see Daniel do is weave these two realities side by side in his confession. There's two parts. Usually we just, when we say confess, that this just means I need to say what I did wrong. But confession for Daniel was, there's really two parts to it. Not just saying that I was, we were sinful, but I'm confessing who God is. How great He is. As He says in verse 7, To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. And notice how He says, as at this day. Okay. They were in exile because of their sin, and the sin was still happening, still going on. Another thing you'll notice as you read through this confession is that all along Daniel includes himself. Did you see that? Does that strike you? That he says, you know what, I'm a, as much of a contributor of sin as my brethren are. I'm as much a cause for God's punishment as the rest of the nation is. Because he keeps saying, to us, or we, myself included, have acted wickedly. And now that hardly seems fitting for who you know Daniel to be. And yet, he does not find himself above them. That's an important thing to note as we pray, isn't it? Do you include yourself as you confess? Or are you merely confessing for others? Do you confess at all? Last week, actually, I was addressing prayer as a concern in our church. And I believe when, as I was saying something, I said, your church. And that may have given the impression that maybe I'm innocent of the matter. Well, I'm not. It is our church. And we, myself included, have neglected prayer. We have, even as Daniel said, have not. We have not entreated the favor of God. But think then, here's what, this is the what of prayer, okay? What Daniel's doing here in this confession. What he's doing is going back and he's affirming the very words of God himself. So when you're at a loss of what to pray for, that's probably a sign that you've lost touch with what God has promised. God said he would punish the nation if they failed to keep the covenant. Well, Daniel knows that because he's read it, he's studied the Word of God, 
And now he's come to witness it. He, he, he saw it take place. Like in verse 12, right, he says, He, God, has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us. And then in verse 13, As it is written in the law of Moses, it's been told. According to what God said, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of God. Daniel knows what God has said. And he knew that God was faithful to keep his word. This has actually been a key question in our Wednesday night ministry. We teach the kids with questions that they learn the answers to. And one of them that we keep asking is, does God keep his promises? Answer, God always keeps his promises. Because God is faithful. What are some promises that our prayers can and should be built on? Well, how about the promise of peace that passes understanding, right? Or how about the promise that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He will lead you? What about the promise that if you seek His kingdom first, all these things will be added to you? The what's of our prayers. They should be rooted in the very things that God has already said. That's really what Daniel was doing here in this confession. He teaches us to begin and base our prayers with who God is and what his relationship to us has been. Is it not this way that Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's the character of God that then moves Daniel into this second part, right? His petition. So Daniel turns from confessing promises that have been fulfilled to petitioning God for promises yet unfulfilled, right? In verse 15. And now, O Lord, our God, who, the one who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. In verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among us. So, He's now asking God, God, remove this. Put an end to this. The time is done. Now, my question in coming to this request of Daniel is, how could Daniel be confident that his requests mattered to God? Or, and put it anyway, how can we be confident that our prayers would do the same? But did you notice where he rooted his prayer? Right according to verse 19. He says this, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not, and here it is, for your own sake. Oh my God. Because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel's confidence was rooted here. Not in our righteousness, right? But in who God was. For your name's sake. God, I'm asking you to do this because this city and this people are called by your name. Your name's at stake, God. It's not because I've earned it. It's not because of anything we have, our unrighteousness we've accumulated. But Daniel was confident that God would act on behalf of what? His own character. Are your prayers about the glory of God? Is it, is it really hallowed be your name? Is it Natural that as you pray, your concern is that God will be made much of. 
I like this quote. Put it up here. Daniel's motive for prayer was the glory of God, right? That's what he wanted. Because the glory of God was his great motive for living. That's why. So let's not mistake this when we come to apply it and we think about it in terms of our own prayers. It's not telling us to make sure we tack on these words, for your name's sake, at the end of every prayer. You understand that, right? It's moving us to examine whether the for your name's sake is really at the heart of the praying man and praying woman, right? It's not about praying the right words, but praying with that heart. How do I, well, how do you move then from praying magic words the words we know and have become accustomed to saying, the mechanical movement of my mouth, how do I move from that to praying with the heart such as Daniel had? Well, you see it, right? Because we just looked at it. Well, you start with how big and how wonderful and how glorious God is. You begin with confession, right? Confession rather than beginning with your requests. Because as you do that, as you confess who God is and what your relationship to him really is, then you'll find that your request is really centered. It's really concerned now with God. Your prayers will be raptured up with Him and what He's concerned about. So you'll find yourself praying for His kingdom, for His people, for His church, for His world. So as we look to this season of turning our faces to the Lord, right, to seek Him, Daniel's prayer is a provision, isn't it? It's a provision for us. So you know what matters to God. We can't say we don't know. What is God? What matters to God? Well, the glory of His own name. Therefore, we know that we can come with confidence when our prayers are rooted in His words. And guess what? We're not left in the dark. Did God ever answer Daniel's prayer? We're going to get into this a little bit next week, but look at verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God and for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have come... I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. He goes on from there. I think that's one of the reasons that he wrote this prayer down, to encourage God's people that he hears us when we turn to him with his glory on our hearts. God hears. So with that... Let's pray. Lord, you are the reason that we would desire to come together as a body and pray. And that reason, you, is enough. There's countless other reasons that we could gather together and for which it would be good to pray. But you're enough, Lord, because of all of who you are, because of how kind you are, because of how faithful you are. And Lord, you have taught us through Daniel, and as we began in Sunday school about 
praying with Paul. It's the same thing. It's learning to come to you with what you've already said. Lord, may your word be the basis and the prompting for our prayers and why we would be impassioned and emboldened to come and ask you things. So Lord, I pray that you would lead our church into a new vibrancy and commitment before you. And that we can then see how you would act in and among us. You will do it because you are faithful. Thank you so much in Jesus' precious name. Amen.